like beer? Do you want to learn how to make your own beer? It's time for Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Here's your host, Jeremy White and Bert Deister. Good Saturday morning. Welcome to Niagara, Tradition, Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It here on ESPN 1520. The weather's got me all uh yeah, and the Crossed National up. Homebrew Day excitement. Too, yes, the all... excitement of National Homebrew Day. So let's talk about what's going on at the uh, at the store. So today's National Homebrew Day. So we have the last day of our sale. So that's 10% off all ingredients. And that's if you order in-store or if you're online. So if you're sitting at home right now and it's a nice sunny day and you don't think you're going to make it into Niagara Tradition, go ahead and p- place that order online. And then on Monday, the... The uh, deduction will be applied when we come back into the store. And so the orders placed on Sunday um, will, or I'm sorry, on Saturday will get the discount. So even if you can't make it in, you can still place your order online and get the discount. Um, But in store, we have at 11 a.m., we have our beginning brewing class, which when I left last night, sold a couple tickets available. And we also have our all grain demo and tasting at 1.30. So 11 a.m. is the uh, brewing demo. You have to grab a ticket for that. You can give us a call. You can come on into uh, the website, you know, order a ticket. Um, if we fill up, they will come down or just give us a call. Come on in. Okay. Um, we do want to make sure we have a seat for you before we bring you in. Um, otherwise, the demo at one thirty, you don't need to sign up for. So we'll clear out the ca- uh, classroom. We'll be standing room only. We'll break out some beers. There'll be a big ta- uh, tasting, and we'll be making beer at the same time. Um, so if you have the time to come down and have to do a little tasting with us, come on down. We have beers on tap. We have beers to share as well as everybody usually brings in some. Um, so there's always more than enough beer to go around. Bring in projects that you're having trouble with, um, beers that you want to show off. Bring it all. We're interested. Sometimes the beers that have problems, they draw a little more attention because it's a little bit of a puzzle for all the brewers around mm-hmm. there to what might have gone wrong. And you have plans? Like you already know what the game plan is for what you're going to brew in your demonstrations? Uh, we made a starter. Okay. <laughs> we, got, we, we chose a yeast. This is always – Every always, year, every year every, I feel like you wake up that morning and you think – Yeah. What, you wait until then for your inspiration. Yeah, we, 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 we had a yeast. We're, we're going with um, – for the all grain, we got a Belgian Ardennes-style yeast. And then for the um, – the beginning, beginning brewing, uh, we have an English ale style yeast going. Other than that, we are, yeah. We'll there was see. some talk of like, okay, well, we want to use this base malt for the European style beer. You know what I mean? The the beginning brew is going to be an American style. We're thinking, you know, pale ale or summer summer ale, um, and we're thinking something strong and European. We did a big starter. Was this the genesis of the Crunchberries ale that, a year ago? Um, I think so. Yeah, I think so. You're trying to get us to do another. I'm con- just saying, yeah. you did like it. We were, we were actually leaning towards Concord Grape Belgian Triple. All right. So unless somebody's going to talk us out of that, I think that's where we're going. I don't know that I've ever had a grapefruit beer. Yeah. Have I've you? had a few. Yeah. yeah raisins are pretty common. Um, so you think of like Midas Touch has like, you know, raisins. So you get a real grapey, tanniny presence. Um, and I, there are like the Italian grape ale, so they're like a lighter beer that has like usually white wine grapes in it, or maybe Pinot Noir, nothing like you know too heavy mm-hmm. on tannins. And then oh, there was a, another limited edition, I believe it was Dogfish Head, uh, did one that had Pinot Noir added to it, or is that Stone? There's another, there's uh, another limited edition beer that has Pinot Noir added to it on IPA. Okay, so Concord, not traditional vinifera like used in the other <laughs> ones, but 
Yeah. Interesting. All right. Very cool. Well, speaking of fruit beer, that's what we're going to do today. But before we get to that, um, anything more on hop rhizomes? We did the. We the, still have them. We did the planting guide last week. Yeah. At home and at work, we're both looking at about a foot high now. So if you, if you have hop rhizomes uh, at home, you want to go find them. You know what I mean? Begin trellising them. Give them something to climb on. Um, but we do have uh, more rhizomes available. And you can plant them all the way out till June, but earlier is better. And this is really the kind of planting season. So if you can get them in now, you're going to get a really you know good plant the first year and something to kind of look at. Whereas mm-hmm. if you were planting in June, it might get eight feet high. You know what I mean? You'll be mm-hmm. nursing it along, and then you'll be really hoping that it comes back next year. If you can get them in early you have a better chance of getting a good plant coming back next year. Very good. All right, so your hop rhizome planting guide, if you missed that, uh, find it on demand. That is back at uh, WGR550.com or ESPN1520, the complete hop rhizome planting guide last week. All right, making fruit beer. So this is a uh, popular thing. This is definitely the season to talk about this kind of thing. It's funny to me because often the fruit beers tend to be the new brewers and it is one of the harder things to deal with um i don't know why this is you know fruit beer sometimes are gateway beer for folks to get into better beer so they might try you know like a blueberry blonde then they get into you know just blondales and kolsch and then that kind of moves on from there um but often new brewers are trying to make a fruit beer or you know um home brewers are trying to capitalize on fresh fruit for the season. Um, and so fruit beers are often something somebody wants to do, you know, and they're a little bit tougher and they go outside the normal process. So if you're doing an IPA, you're adding more hops. Maybe you're, you're adding a lot of dry hopping. If you're doing a Pilsner, you're doing a lagering routine, you know what I mean? But otherwise, the process of mash, boil, chill, ferment, really pretty much stays the same. When you're doing a fruit beer, you have to keep coming back to the beer over and over again, and it makes it a little bit tougher. So the first thing we can talk about is choosing the base beer. When you're making any type of specialty beer, if you're making a you know, oak age beer, if you're making a smoke beer, the first thing you have to do, and I think this is something that goes beyond like BJCP styles and goes on to just kind of good planning, you have to kind of look at the beer on its own first that you want to add the fruit to. So the first thing you need to do is decide what am I going to make and what do I need to do to possibly alter this recipe to... Um, to make it right because the fruit can initially kind of have some negative effects on the beer. Um, so to be quite honest, the kind of, in our kind of planning around this beer and where the show is coming up from um, is we wanted to use this new Singer Farms Concord Grape Concentrate. Um, it's pasteurized. It's in um, the... Uh, you know, it's in a sealed container. There's really, you don't have to go through a lot of this work that we're doing, but it kind of brought up the conversation and how we got to incorporate it. And this is the one thing we definitely have to do is we have to choose a beer that we think, well, will go with the style. So we first kind of looked at yeast. And I think this goes to my brewing always. I always am looking at, you know, what do I want to play around with first? Concord, you know, grape juice. Now I start going, start to finish yeast malt hops. And so the first thing I looked at was, 
kind of what yeast I wanted to do. I wanted something with a little bit of effervescence to, you know, an esters in the nose. Um, I knew I kind of wanted to go Belgian with it, but I wanted something that was fairly clean and fairly high attenuating because I wanted to do a fairly dry, light-bodied beer for this. And so I immediately pointed towards Belgian Ardennes. And so that's what we're doing um, for this beer. And then I go on to the base model. Okay, I don't want anything that's going to complicate it. I want something that's going to build up the body a little bit. I know I can get that out of some of those like European Belgian Pilsners. So great. So that's going to be our base malt. Um, and then when I look at, say, specialty malts, um, I want something that's kind of build the body back up on it because the grape sugars are actually going to dry out the beer a little bit. So I had a little bit more crystal malt to kind of adapt for that. And so all of this is kind of building a beer that's going to act as a foundation for the fruit that you plan to put on it later in the fermentation or in the boil, wherever you plan to add it. But the first thing you have to have to do is have a rock-solid foundation for that beer in the base style. If you just grab any old, you know, junky can kit or, you know, that's old and say, oh, I'm going to, you know, throw some blueberries on this, and you have a beer that has a lot of problems on its own and really was already too dry or, you know, too bitter, and then you add something else to it, it's just going to complicate it, and you're really not showcasing those ingredients well. So equally that you have to worry about how you're going to process the fruit that you add to the beer, you also have to worry about the beer you're going to add it to and is it going to be able to take this fruit flavoring. Okay. All right. So now you have to get the fruit. So obviously, fresh in season is always going to be cheaper, but it's actually a little bit harder to deal with. Frozen in puree is going to be a little bit easier just based on your own time scale. You, you, know, you can take a can or a you know, uh, puree um, or juice. You can take uh, you know, frozen juice or um, uh, frozen fruit and just put it in the freezer whenever your brew day is it's ready to go. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you want that raspberry beer for Christmas, pick the raspberries in season, put them in the freezer. It's going to make your life a lot easier. You can deal with it. You can research it. You know, because often these trips, just like for me, hey, here's this juice. Let me do something with it. It wasn't, hey, let me do a fruit beer. Let me look at when the best season to do this. It's, no, I want to do this now. Yeah. Um, it, it also seems like every time we've talked about any sort of vegetable or fruit, you are usually, to my ear, saying go the frozen route, go the puree route, even though you want to have like the – you want to be able to say you used fresh blueberries. It's generally not worth your, right? It's not yeah. worth the time. I want, to, that, to... I want that raspberry saison in July when I'm picking raspberries, not three months later in October when I, you know what I mean, when it would actually be done. Right. You know, or something like that. Um, and it also, with a lot of these projects, if you're up against a wall, if you're doing it when you don't have the time to really give it the research and attention, that's where you're going to run into problems and you're you're wasting your time on it. You're going to have a beer that you're not happy with and you're going to drink five gallons of that and it's going to you know, put a wrench in your brewing kind of process. Yeah. So pre-planning is always key. The more difficult the element that you're you know uh, dealing with, the more pre-planning that you want to put into it. Okay. And so freezing the fruit here also breaks down cell walls. So it makes the whole kind of massing, you know, maceration process kind of happen at a cellular level and it will release more flavor, more fermentables. Um, and again, you can brew it whenever you want. It's at your convenience. So it can just be sitting in there whenever you have a brew day. Um, if you're working with fresh fruit, you know what I mean? You really have to work with it then and there. You can take and freeze fresh fruit, and that will obviously put it away. But if you want to do fresh fruit right off the vine, you're going to be dealing with it right away. So 
the first thing I always kind of say with fruit beer is there's a balance here. And we're kind of starting to get in. That's flavor versus sanitizing. Um, when you're making a fruit beer, you're left with choices on when and how to add the fruit and how to process the fruit. And often these ways of, you know, uh, pres- preservation also take away fruit flavor. So this, I mean, goes into like something like the Belgian. So you can make a, use an extract or, you know, like boiled fruit and make like an American style wheat beer really easy using fresh fruit off the vine to make like a framboise or creek, like a Belgian, you know, clone where they're incorporating the microbes is a lot harder. Um, And so think about that ahead of time. It can be as easy as grabbing a, you know, package of flavoring or it can be as hard as basically making a wild fermentation wine and blending it with beer. Um, And you want to think about this ahead of time. If you're going to be drinking it rather quick, you're not as worried about how well all the fruit was processed and whether you still have a, you know, like a sealed fermentation without other microbes in there. If it's something you want to bottle and age for a while, you either need to let those microbes run their course or keep them out of the process. So you're always trying to do this balancing act to get as much flavor as you want, but also mitigate infection and try not to lose your fruit flavor. Um, So unless you're trying to spawn like a wild fermentation off the fruit, um, you will have to figure out some way to kill those microbes. And that's kind of what we're going to be focusing on for the second half of the show. Okay. So you got to build a good base beer and then you got to decide what you're going to be doing with this. Is it going to be like kegs so you can add preservatives, drink it fast? Is this something you're going to bottle? You know what I mean? Do you plan to have it along or around for a while? Okay. How, when you use the fruit affects all of that is up next on Niagara Traditions Just Brew It on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White here for Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supplies. You're listening to Just Brew It, which means... Either you homebrew or you're thinking about it. Wherever you are in the process, Niagara Tradition Homebrew is your source for everything homebrewing. Do what I did. Get a starter kit, and you'll be well on your way. Niagara Tradition will be there to answer your questions, give you advice, and as I try to become a more seasoned brewer, I know I can count on Niagara Tradition to be there with the supplies and the advice I need. Niagara Tradition Homebrewing Supply, 1296 Sheridan Drive, near Military, in Tonawanda. Open Monday through Friday, 11 to 7, Saturdays, 10 to 4, and 24-7 at nthomebrew.com. Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Pay them a visit, and remember to just brew it. Okay, so more on fruit beers here on Just Brew It from Niagara Tradition. Jeremy White and Bert Deister with you. Happy Saturday, happy uh, summer-ish, spring-ish summer stuff. Happy National Homebrew Day. Day. Yeah. So you can take advantage of uh, some specials at the store, mm-hmm. and we're talking about fruit beers and when to add your fruit and what it means. We're based getting on... into summer. The fruit will be. Yeah. It's that time. green around us all of a sudden now. Um, so one thing we got to talk about with the fruit beer is why not just, you know, boil it really quick. Um, and you could do that. You can add the fruit right to the boil um, while you're brewing the beer. Um, but you're going to be cooking the fruit. So that's going to do two things. One, it's going to change the flavors. You're going to get less of a fruit, you know, fresh fruit flavor, more of like a marmalade fruit pie kind of flavor where you get a little bit of caramelization um, and you get a real change in it. You're also going to get some coagulation of the fruit. So you're going to get some bits of flossum and jetsam, um, and it might clog up your process or leave a large layer of almost like trub at the bottom of this like you know gelatinized I know that's not technically the right word but it's pectin proteins coagulating 
all the bits of fruit and all the bits of cellulose in there. So you'll end up with all these floaters. It doesn't mean they'll end up in the finished beer, but they'll be there at the start. They'll be there through fermentation, and so you'll have to kind of rack accordingly. Um, but when you add the fruit to the boil, you also take away some of the color and some of the aroma as well. So you cause a little bit of you know, oxidation, and you also cause um, a takeaway of aroma. So just like when you're adding hops to the boil and you take away the more volatile compounds, you do that to the fruit as well. So if you add, just dump the fruit into the boil, you're low risk for infection, but high risk that you're going to lose a lot of aroma for the fruit. Um, next place you can add it is into the whirlpool of the beer now this is a good balancing act i think it's a pretty popular way to kind of mitigate infection and it is also very easy doesn't require cleaning out extra equipment or sanitizing extra equipment so what you do is crush up your fruit best you can and say like a again i go for you know stainless steel saucepan and a potato masher and you're just gonna pour it right into the beer once you break 180 degrees that's that point at where we start to have that pectin reaction and then you'll want to keep it there so turn off the wart chiller for about 20 minutes over 170 degrees you may need to turn the heat back on and what we're doing is we're pasteurizing the fruit without heating it to a point where we cook it much okay so we should keep plenty of flavor should keep some um we should keep uh, definitely a little bit of color, and we should preserve some aroma, although fermentation will take some out. So we can add it to the fermentation, um, and you might want to add it late into the fermentation process. The yeast are still going to consume the sugars, so you're still not going to get any sweetness out of this. But hopefully, since the fruit hasn't been in for the majority of the fermentation, if you add it late, you'll retain some of the aroma because it won't be scrubbed off by the CO2. As you have this violent amount of gas getting produced into the beer, um, it tends to take and pull kind of you know, softer aromas out of the beer. So if you have, again, like a hop that you're adding, and it says to do a late dry hop addition, it's because you're trying to prevent all that CO2 from taking off the aroma of the hops. And it's the same thing with adding the fruit. Now, if you're adding the fruit to the fermentation, you have to figure out a way to sanitize it and pasteurize it. Um, the problem here usually is that the beers that we want to add fruit to are not the 9%, you know, high IBU, you know, low pH kettle soured, you know, sulfur producing Belgian ales that would be most likely, and again, I say likely because if we look at classic beers in that style, it's usually let the microbes run wild mm -hmm. um, to hold off a serious infection. Um, and there's no guarantee that that's going to happen. And that's never the beer the home brewers want to add it to. It's always like a low-alcohol blonde or cream ale. You know what I mean? Um, if, if you're making it for somebody who necessarily doesn't like their big hoppy beers, you may be making this beer, you know, out of a favor to, you know, a housemate or wife or husband or somebody who says, hey, you know what I mean? I, I want that blueberry wit. Or, mm -hmm. So you want to make sure that it is going to, uh, again, be pasteurized somehow. Um, and you can pasteurize the fruit in small batches. And this requires a bit of attention. You're almost doing something more like candy making, but at lower temperatures. And you really don't want to scorch it um, or burn the fruit. So you want to take out that same you know, stainless steel saucepan, clean it up best you can, um, 
pit any fruit, like if you're doing cherries or peaches, you know, pit it, cut it up a bunch. If you're doing something like raspberries or strawberries, you're taking off any green elements and just tossing them in there. Um, and then you're going to go right back for the potato masher, and you're really going to mash them up as best you can. Um, add enough water to cover it, and you're only trying to add enough water to prevent it from burning so that you can stir it. Any extra water that you're adding at this point, you're just watering down the beer. Um, but you need to go through your pasteurization. So you're trying to break 170. So I usually bring it right up to 180. Uh, and then I take it off the heat and I try to keep it above 170. So I may have to move it back on um, for at least 20 minutes. And that's again, that's like USDA pasteurization. Same thing we're trying to do when we add the you know, fruit into the whirlpool as the beer is cooling down. We're trying to hold it at that temperature for a little bit to try to kill any microbes. Obviously, we might not kill 100% at that temperature, um, but we should preserve the fruit flavor. And so, again, this is always a balancing act. If you're not as worried about fresh fruit flavors, you don't mind a little bit of cooked flavors, bring that temperature up. You know what I mean? Uh, if you're not worried about watering down uh, the product, go ahead and add a little more water. It'll make life a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Um, next kind of question we get often is, do I need a bag? Um, this goes back to the infection oxidation versus, you know, how much fruit you're using and retention of flavor. Um, I usually don't use a bag, which I means say, I, I lose some beer. I would guess you don't because you, you tend to not use bags, period, mm-hmm. for most stuff. Yeah, they're a big mess. I'm, I worry about the infection. Um, I'm always brewing a little bit over batch to my secondary fermenters to my keg. So if I'm brewing um, a five gallon batch, I actually shoot for about five and a quarter. So that if I'm racking and I, can, I need to leave a little bit more behind, or you know, I, I have the ability to do that without worrying about losing my uh, final batch size. Um, and so what always happens with the bags is one, you got to use it in the primary fermentation. This is not something you can put into a carb we and never expect to get out again. Um, and what I would do is take sanitized um, disposable cooking gloves, so latex like cooking gloves mm-hmm. or nitrate cooking gloves, star sand them, uh, and then try to get the bag out and before I pull it out of the surface, while I'm pulling it out of the surface, just wring it out best I can so I'm not dripping juices back in. Uh, and then I still, I mean, if you were winemaking, you would actually press the fruit at that point, but I don't want to put all that risk into my beer. So I usually give it a kind of, you know, barely squeezing it, let it drip for a second, and then I get it out of there. And so one of those reasons I like to just put it in there, I feel like I get more out of the fruit, but um, it, it's, uh, yeah, less risk of infection. You know what I mean? I hate that process of sitting over a bucket with a, you know, a big sloppy bag full of like, you know, now partially consumed and mushed up cherries and you're trying to squeeze it out. And then the other thing that you really want to do is after I squeeze it out, I feel like I just disturbed it. I lost my CO2 barrier and, you know what I mean? I kind of want to let that sit there and settle, but I lost my CO2 barrier. So again, I'm kind of left with this dilemma. Mm -hmm. So I usually don't mind losing a little bit of beer and I just go ahead and put it in without any bags. When I get down to the bottom of the racking, I don't try to press the fruit or anything like that. So I am always catering towards the not getting an infected beer. Most of the fruit beer that I make are not on tap, besides the crump berries. Um, it's <laughs> something that I'm, I'm bottling and I'm sitting around for long term. So I usually tend to end at the higher alcohol of, you know, like Belgians. Uh, when I'm doing a beer like this. Okay. All right. So 
if say you get down to the done, you know, the yeast is going to eat all the sugars. The, it's done fermenting, and the fruit has left the beer dry, tannic, and bitter. All the things we were kind of worried about when we were building a recipe. Um, it's okay. You can fix these things. Not all hope is lost here. You can independently bring back all of these things, and it's pretty simple. You can do maltodextrin for body. Um, so that's that white uh, granulated powder. It's an unfermentable sugar. It's not really sweet, but it adds mouthfeel. So if your gravity is way low, say you wanted to end up at you know 12 or 16 points of gravity or at 10, you're going to add some maltodextrin to get back to there. And since it's dry sugar and you have a known batch size, it's easiest to do this by the numbers. So take a hydrometer reading, get your body back. Now kind of evaluate it for sweetness. Um, and you have two options here. You have artificial sugar, which is very easy. You don't have to worry about bottle carbonation. You don't have to worry about it getting re-fermented and causing like phenols or esters later on. Um, you know, kind of pick your poison on this one. You won't need a lot. But, you know, so I would usually use sucralose. Um, you're using like eighths of a teaspoon per five gallons. We're only trying to build a little bit of sweetness. And with any of these, if you use too much, it can go out of control. And now the other option is the natural fruit flavorings that we have. Now these are like non-fermentable, uh, all-natural fruit flavorings. So they will bring back, I tell people, what fermentation took out. So they have a little bit of sweetness in there. They have quite a bit of aroma and a tiny bit of flavor. Um, you can add them on their own. Like, so you can make a beer, you can add these. I do it all the time where I add it to a growler. So I might bring over Pilsner in one growler and then, you know, strawberry Pilsner in another growler. And I can, you know, quickly do that by just mixing it in. But I would always admit it has better results if you put some fruit in there and then use these flavorings to kind of balance it out in the end. And you always want to take these flavorings and add them to taste because if you follow their recommendations, it can get so strong it burns. Yeah. So they tell you like four ounces will do like four to five gallons. Four ounces usually gets me through about 15 gallons to 20. So one of these little $4 natural fruit flavoring things will last you a long time. You can put them away and keep them in the fridge. If you don't use them right away, they won't go bad. All right. Fruit beer for the summer. Yeah. Everything you need to know to make something for uh, to quench the thirst you have once the yeah, temperature gets up. Or once your garden finally starts producing to get rid of the you know pounds and pounds of raspberries or rhubarb or whatever. you. Yeah. I guess rhubarb would be a vegetable beer. Yeah. Kind of more fruit flavor. Well, all right. That does it for us. We're out of time. Uh, happy National Homebrew Day. Get to Nog Tradition for specials, for instruction. Mm -hmm. Enjoy. For the tasting. For the beer. tasting. Yes, yes. Lots going on. So stop by the shop. Good day to do it. Uh, that's it for us. Happy Derby Day, too. Find your horse. Yeah. Bet on the one that sounds like a beer name. Yeah. So pick your pick your beer name from the horse. That's easy, easy day to come up there, with beer names. There you go. Easy day to come up with Any beer names. Any episode is on demand at WGR550.com or ESPN1520.com as well. This has been Niagara Traditions. Just brew it on ESPN1520. You've been listening to Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Home Brew. Whether you're a seasoned brewer or just want to get started, visit them at 1296 Sheridan Drive in Tonawanda or online at nthomebrew.com. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Just Brew It.